Hey, welcome to Balancing Dads, the podcast about fathers' work-life balance between their family and job. Hello and welcome to the Balancing Dads podcast. I'm your host, Mike McQuaid. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm your host, Paul Campbell. We flipped it. So since we recorded the the first podcast of this series together, Paul and I, uh, I thought it was very nice talking to him. And we thought rather than me going and trying to do this all alone, it would be nice to have a co-host for this podcast. So Paul is joining me to co-host our wonderful new podcast, Balancing Dads. And I'm delighted to be here. Balancing Dads, cool. And so this time we're going to flip result roles and I'm going to become the interviewer. Mike's going to be interviewee. So getting straight to it, Mike, who are you? What do you do? And when did kids come into your life? Good questions. I am Mike McQuaid. I am 35, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I work as a software engineer for a company called GitHub. I used to work on the same team as Paul's lovely wife. Um, And I have two kids, one who is two and a bit and one who is three and a bit months old. So I have a very baby heavy life at the moment uh, and then outside of work i also um do a bunch of open source software stuff and i try to get out to the gym every so often so i don't die we're almost the same person we are but for a we, few months yeah well and, and i'm an irish citizen now as well because no, i got my, no my passport so believe it. we are effectively the same person now. So three years ago, you went from just married, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess how long have we been married now? We've been married for 10 years next year. Yeah. I got married in 2010. So yeah. So I guess we had five or six years before we had, no, I guess seven years before we had kids. Oh, oh, interesting. So what would, where did that decision come from? Or was the, how did that come about? Well, we always kind of talked about having kids. I was always a little bit more, it's kind of funny to, to reflect back on this stuff. Cause I was always a little bit ambivalent about having kids. Like if I was with someone who didn't want to have them, that would be fine. And I was with someone who wanted to have them. Like, so we've actually been together since I was, 17 years old so i guess like 17 18 18 years Mm. um this year so yeah and uh my wife had always said that she wanted to have kids so in my mind that's like well this is just something that's going to happen one day and i didn't feel strongly against it so yeah so decided to have some kids and we have some now and they're they're wonderful two e boys (laughs) So you definitely, you're not regretting the decision. So the premise of this podcast, I guess, is that we are passionate about being dads who put a lot of effort and time and put our kids front in our lives, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and I think it's the thing for me that sort of made me think about this originally is, you know, there's a lot of talk about women and work-life balance and having it all and stuff like that. And I think increasingly a lot of dads feel the same way um and i it's i guess the positive side of it is i think it's almost thinking about as dads like how can we 
kind of balance all these things together when maybe you know some parts of society say that we should be caring about our career primarily or even exclusively uh, but also i guess to kind of provide a little bit of a counterbalance to um, maybe some of the pressures that women face to be responsible primarily for their children and to be asked all these questions about work-life balance and fitting it all in and doing it all if dads aren't being held to the same expectation so for sure yeah, I and the a common theme is if you want to change the minds of people broadly it is efficient for people who look similar to us to hear it from i guess people like us yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, and I, I think there's a certain amount of, like, it. it's okay to prioritize your kids over your career for certain times or maybe for your entire life and stuff like that. And it's, as you say, I think we can maybe more easily speak to other dads about stuff like this. I do want to talk about that in a second, but yeah, I, before that, let's talk about picture the scene. It's, is it 5am? Is it 6am? Is it 7am? And what is the time to kid in your face? Yeah. So I'm really lucky in the R first was a great sleeper. So he generally wakes up about 720, 7.30. Um, wow. And then even then, when he wakes up, he'll just sit there quietly in his bed with his eyes open, just like sucking his thumb, chilling out. Like so that's happening today. Yeah. Yeah, that happens wow. basically every day. Um he's three. Yeah. Yeah. Two I guess two and two and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Um so nowhere. He's pretty amazing. I am I, I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's the type of thing like I have found myself like literally lying about how good his sleep is to other parents because I don't want them to feel bad because he's great. Uh, but our, our number two is different. So our number two, he still wakes up every like I think last night was every sort of two and a half to three hours at most, if not kind of one, one and a half hours, like all night. Um, so we decided this time around to kind of have me just sleep in another room and I take care of the good sleeper if he's up in the night and take care of him in the morning. Goodness. And then, yeah. And then my wife will just get up. Um, and it's, and you know, she'll call me if she needs me, if he's, you know, had a leak overnight, the wee one and needs help kind of getting changed and stuff like that. But yeah, but generally, uh, I am extremely lucky and sleep in another room where and I is get that a breast breastfeeding bottle feeding thing. Is it a work thing for you or her? Uh, I think it's, I think it's partly, a, a well, cause she's still breastfeeding. So that's right, right. part of it. And I think it's sort of a mutual decision that I think this time around, I've been better at not feeling like the stuff I should do, even when it's a bit pointless. So I guess her attitude is in the night, other than when he kind of leaks through and she needs to change him, like two isn't really better than one. And I'm just, all I'd be doing is getting woken up and not really doing very much like he he can kind of take a bottle but um my wife doesn't particularly like expressing uh so unless she kind of has to if she's actually like out uh, so she'd rather almost like express go out rather than be almost like be there at night time and i think yeah partly the balance of like work stuff and things like that and i can sort out the house when she goes to bed things like that so yeah it's sure. it's a tricky tricky balance but um yeah, we'll, we'll get when he the youngest gets into his own room and stuff like that. Then that should be a little bit easier. But anyway, right. so um, 
yeah, the eldest, yeah. So he will get up about, you know, seven 30 ish. I set my alarm for seven 20. If he hasn't already woken me up, <laughs> get up. I, I know, I know it's, it's terrible. <laughs> um, so get up, uh, make his breakfast, um, get that ready. He, he likes to eat like as soon as he's awake. So I get it like okay. warmed up on the table, stuff like that. And then go and get him out of his bed. And then he will generally sort of blearily saunter through, eat his breakfast, wife and the younger one will come down. And then we all basically just try and eat, get ready, get everyone changed and, and good for the day. Uh, then yeah, one of us will do the nursery drop off and we sort of split it in half. Okay. What and time does that start? So I guess he will go to nursery, probably like leave the house between sort of eight and eight thirty. We have a dog as well, so she gets whoever does the nursery drop off does the the dog walk that morning as well. Um, so yeah, so by about I guess generally by about eight thirty, he's um, in nursery, and then I'll start work at eight thirty or eight, depending on whether I'm dropping him or not. Just on nursery, um, how long has he been going to nursery? He started when he was a year old. Um, mm. So, and he has gone in from the outset for five kind of shortish days. Um, my wife dropped her hours, and yeah, so she finishes work when she's at work, which is not at the moment, um, at about sort of three three thirty ish, and then I'll go and pick him up from nursery around then. Um, so yeah, so he has a bit of a sort of shorter day, but he was mm. in five days a week, and then at the moment, because of the wee one, he's in four days a week. Um, and then that day, <laughs> I'm using that day to sort of take a little bit of load off my wife because she's doing solo to little kids. Um, the dog goes to nursery. Um, hmm. So there's there's hmm. like a, a, a dog crash here called City Dogs. So they come what? and pick her up and she runs around in a field all day. Um, and yeah, she, she really likes that. But Wow. And I guess the baby stays at home? Yeah, yeah, baby stays at home uh, with my wife. Um, so similarly, he will probably go off to nursery when he's about a year old, uh, and my wife will be on maternity leave until then. And so is your working day 8.30 to 3.30, or tell us about how that works? Yeah, so my working day is uh, about sort of 8, 8.30 to 5.30, generally. That's okay. my almost like come home time. I work from a home office in my garden. We've actually got like a separate garage, um, like outbuilding that we kind of converted into an office, which is really pretty great. Uh, so I like go to work and come back from work at sort of the prearranged times, I guess. Yeah. Like eight, eight thirty, and come back at five, five thirty, depending on the day. Um, and yeah, that sounds like a long work day and I'm, I don't like working that hard. So I generally will go like yeah, a few days to the gym kind of during the day. Uh, right. so I, I like to kind of get up, maybe read my email, stuff like that, and then pop off to the gym. But yeah, but that's my, my work day kind of goes on in there. And then if there's, you know, I'll, I'll pop back and forward to the house and stuff like that. And yeah, it's kind of nice. I can go to the bathroom, see the, see the baby, make some face um, and stuff like that. Do you, do you lunch at home or out? Yeah, I generally lunch at home. Um, I try to not eat at my desk, although I do sometimes. And so you don't do nursery pickup then, obviously. So I do nursery pick up one day of the week. Um, so that's today, actually. So the pickup's a bit kind of um, trickier, just almost like time-wise, because I end up picking them up and then going back to work for a little bit. 
Um, but yeah, but I, I kind of wanted to get one day a week because it's just like the pickup is so wonderful compared to the drop off for me, at least. The drop is. <laughs> it's so true. Because so I mean, the drop off can be good. Like, I mean, quite yeah. often the drop off, you just drop him in and he's happy and putting his stuff away or whatever. But for me, at least the pickup is like, daddy. And he just like runs towards you and gives oh, you a massive really? Yeah. Yeah. You get so that, excited when he. That's not what I meant. I, for me, it's I, I feel like I have to drag the three-year-olds to school, and uh, until, not until he like is there in the classroom. Is he happy to be on the way? And then every day at the end of school, how did you get on school? Great, <laughs> but he doesn't run over. He doesn't run over to us. He or t- to me anyway. But I what I like about it is that um, you go into the school and you pick him up and. All the kids just come over and they have a little chat and they call me names and I try and practice absorbing insults because you can't encourage them. Um, but that's interesting. So you get the, to me, it feels like when that happens, the, the whole world slows down and you can hear the backing music and your kid is across the other side of the yard and they run towards you. I, I, I get that. It is delightful. Yep. It's lovely. Very nice. Aw. <laughs> um, and then dinner time is 5.30. Do you eat together? Yeah, so we we all eat together. Um, all but I have one night of the week where I have a meeting that goes like five to six. So I miss dinner that night, and I come over and eat it when that's done. And then one night a week, my wife goes off to yoga. Uh, so I look after the two of them, and we have dinner just like the three of us. Um, and I try and contort myself to bottle feed a baby while a toddler runs around my ankles. <laughs> Very good. Is he a good eater? Uh, yeah, yeah. They're both, they both seem to really like their food. I mean, they've always been kind of big, but yeah, no, he's, he's a pretty good eater. Like, I mean, he doesn't eat absolutely everything. Uh, he's, he's basically addicted to pasta like that. Like he went through a couple of month phase where every time he would come to dinner and it wasn't pasta, he would say not pasta, don't like it. Um, and then just like run away, but like eventually he would come back and eat it and stuff. But yeah, he's definitely a pasta optimized child. And is there a soon after dinner bedtime or do you, do you keep them up for a while or? Yeah. So I guess dinner is maybe like five. Well, so five to five thirty, he gets to kind of while dinner is being made, he gets to watch some TV. So he likes that. And then at five thirty, maybe till six, we sort of eat dinner and then six till six thirty, he gets to run around and play and stuff like that. Um, and six thirty, we do kind of start doing his bath time. 6.45, I take him out of the bath. This all sounds very regimented in that like, I'll, my wife will be like, oh, is he done in the bath? And I'm like, no, it's only 6.43. He needs to stay in for two more minutes. And I'll do like the, I'll do like a 10 second countdown as you can take the plug out and stuff like that. And it's, yeah, I'm a little bit weird about that. So that That's, comes from you. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like kind of fairly rigid scheduling. And I guess all the stuff I mentioned before about like nursery drop-offs and mealtimes and stuff like that, like I have that all in my like calendar. Like everything is all like almost like planned down to the minute. Um, Yeah. So yeah. So then he will come out his bath then at uh, 6.45 ish, get changed, ready for bed, stuff like that. And then he will go through and get some stories read before he goes to bed. Now that he's in a a big bed Um, and the wee one will go off and get his bath and get ready for bed. And then we kind of alternate nights who does each one. And then, yeah, then generally my wife will kind of go and get herself ready for bed, come down, get the wee one, you know, 7, 7.15-ish, uh, and 
take him up, feed him, put him to bed. And then depending on how sleep's going, she'll come down and watch mm-hmm. TV with me for half an hour. But if it's not going well, then she'll just go up, go straight to bed. Um, and yeah, and then I kind of have a couple of hours to sort of try and sort stuff out in the house. And yeah, and then chill out, I guess, for an hour or so before I go to bed. That was all very information heavy. But what, what I'm interested now is hearing about what are the TV shows that you enjoy between that five o'clock and five thirty hour? Oh yeah, what has, he, what has he been watching? Well, so I mean, I have a bit of a principle of TV shows. The other parents seem to do it based on almost like the principles, maybe in the TV show or whatever. But I, I'm quite sort of aesthetics focused. So there's some shows that I don't like the artwork or I just find the characters really annoying. So I, I preemptively decided that like some, I, I, yeah. So like some of them, like <laughs> Thomas the Tank Engine, Peppa Pig. I'm just like not big on the art, not big on the show. Like I'm just not going to introduce him to them. Um, and I'm going to try and fight the Thomas the Tank Engine infiltration really? of their lives as, as long as possible, I think. Um, but yeah, so the, the you, first one... You, you still feel like you've got some control over what he watches? Oh, for, for now, yeah. Like, I mean, we, <laughs> we don't... We kind of don't put on the TV and almost like just let it play. So it's kind of very much like what we've put on. Um, so yeah, being in the UK like the BBC over here has their own kind of, I guess, sort of toddlers channel. Uh, so he basically just watches stuff from that. Um, and okay. I, get, I think he's up to three different shows. You'll alternate between now. The first one he ever watched was called Hey Dougie, which is about a sort of dog who runs, a, I guess, nursery slash <laughs> scouts situation. Like scouts, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's these other little animals that are in it and they all go off on adventures and do other stuff. So yeah, that, that one's always been quite nice. And that's made in, uh, in, I guess, former, formerly Macromedia, now Adobe Flash, I learned. Is it? uh, Yeah, it is. Uh, Well, cause I I was looking, I always wondered like, cause it did look a lot like the type of stuff that I, the little animations I could try and make when I was younger. And yeah, it was interesting to see that that's where the art style sort of comes from. So that was his first one he got into. Then octonauts which is one that um like i guess there's sort of un- like underwater sort of explorery people that go and like deal with animals and help them and stuff like that and yeah that that's a funny one i heard about that from my uh from my wife's cousin and her uncle my wife's uncle uh, used to not let his kids watch TV when he was younger, and he is a marine biologist, and he was around seeing his little grandkids watch Octonauts, sort of, um, I think, almost like slightly disapproving. But then it, he kind of heard on one of the episodes, he was like, you know, mm. when it came through and told them, and he said, you know, they said all this stuff about this fish that they discovered at the bottom of the ocean. He said, you know, this research is less than a year old. This is cutting-edge marine biology <laughs> research, and everything they've said is completely scientifically correct. And then I think that... <laughs> you know, changed his view on children's that, television. I had that exact moment when I was watching Octonauts and this ridiculous looking fish was on it. Um, I think it was like a lungfish or something. And it was this really, really long fish. And uh, yeah, I looked it up and everything, all of the description was spot on of the behavior and the, the length and how it, how it behaved. I had that exact revelation. Octonauts is good fun. Yeah, yeah, I, I like octonauts. And also, like, my uh, company I work for is a company called GitHub, and their mascot is a, an octocat, um, and, which is half octopus, half cat. And there's a lot of sort of octocat-y looking things in octonauts, which is amusing to sure. me as well. Um, and then, so I guess the other two more recent additions have been Shaun the Sheep, which is kind of stop-motion, kind of plasticine, hmm. 
done. I, I think there's no dialogue in that as well. It's just like farmyard animals being sort of a bit funny and silly. Um, and then the clangers, which is a reboot of like a 1970s show, which again is stop motion kind of ah. woolen, almost like knitted woolen puppet things. And the characters don't talk. There's like a narrator who's yeah. In fact, the current narrator is Michael Palin. Um, cool. and yeah. And I remember watching that as a kid and that's one mm. from the nostalgia value is like strong and he seems to like it and stuff like that. Um, cool. but yeah, no, Shaun the Sheep's the most exciting because we watched the Shaun the Sheep movie a few weeks ago, like on a Sunday, uh, afternoon when he'd had a very busy weekend to sort of see if he could watch a film and he watched it and enjoyed it. And it turns out the sequel's coming out this weekend. So I'm going to attempt to take him to the cinema nice. and watch, uh, an hour and a half film and see how that goes with a two and a half year old. I, I wish you luck. We managed, I think 40 minutes for the Paw Patrol movie nice. which he he subsequently became obsessed with and uh they had then two shorter episodes after that but he was up and he was up and running around the cinema and that was he was i think he was over three for that so good luck to that also just looking at octonauts it is animated in ireland oh, oh yeah it sounds like you watch a lot fewer shows than we do <laughs> yeah so i don't know what it is like yeah we just i think it's maybe even the way we watch it on the apple tv like it's sort of and he always asks for whatever he's seen um and doesn't ask yeah. you know and, and it's almost like a bit suspicious of any sort of new show so yeah i guess we're, we're almost like trying to like almost like watch a show to death and then when he seems completely bored of it then we can sort of try something new well we, sure. we even did the same thing with like bedtime stories like he he got really into these two books uh mm. that my wife bought which are poppy and sam i think some on a, f- a- apple tree farm and um, so she was sick of reading these two books again and again so she just went and bought literally every apple tree farm book of which there's i think like 20 um so yeah. we've just been cycling through them at bedtime and just reading them all but he must have read each of them like 10 plus times at this point so i think yeah. even they are they are on their way out probably although interestingly what you might find is that you could reuse stories we had a really poignant moment recently where a book that the three-year-old had had when he was one and two probably every night for six months or nine months or whatever, where every other night had it so frequently, we basically knew the story off by heart. And then he hasn't had it. It's a Julia Donaldson book called Tabby McTat. And he had that book for, he didn't have that book maybe for the last nine months or so. And he had completely forgotten the whole thing between whatever, uh, two and a half and three and a half. And it was like it, it, very, very poignant. It was very strange for him not to remember anything. But huh. on the on the other hand, it meant that he could appreciate it for the first time, despite the fact that he had had it so many times in his life. But um, it was wonderful. So I'm I'm sure you'll find that he can recycle these books. And that's also a cool thing with toys that sometimes toys go unplayed with for a while and they become rediscovered because kids change at such at these early ages they change so much every even weekly i could talk about this stuff forever and maybe we should later however i did want to talk about uh nursery because we went through a really interesting transition of on our attitude toward nursery where we started off being somewhat reluctant and as time has gone by 
the, we've come to appreciate nursery in new ways. So I'm, I'm interested, but clearly in terms of living your life and doing work, it's necessary. But what was the emotional journey for you and your wife sending or doing the nursery and how is it going to change for number two? Yeah, no, that's an interesting question. So I think for me, I've always been very pro nursery, I guess, like partly because as you say, like if you want to kind of have a job, then it's sort of just an essential part. And I guess my attitude with some stuff is almost like I, I can be a little bit binary or all or nothing. So I'm a little bit almost like, well, do you want to quit your job and be like a stay-at-home parent? If the answer is no, your child's going to have to go to nursery. And if they have to go to nursery, then why feel bad about it? Um, and, and obviously that's very simplistic. But I guess that's the way I've always looked at it. Um, I think, and again, I think dads don't get as much or any cultural pressure being like, oh my goodness, I can't believe your child's in nursery. Why don't you just take more time off or stay at home or take or work less or whatever. Like, you know, I, I can't imagine you or I will ever get that experience <laughs> from anyone really. Uh, so mm. yeah. So I, I think my wife was a little bit more, I guess she was still kind of happy with it. And we, we found like a nursery we really love, which happened to be the nearest nursery to our house. It's like less than a five minute walk away, which is pretty wonderful. Um, right. And yeah. And I, I think she had, I think particularly when like when drop offs bad and you drop them off and they're crying, um, then I think that pulls the heartstrings a bit more. I heard someone describe it very well actually the other day. Obviously, I'm going to fall into the British stereotype of talking about class a lot, but um, mm. someone was saying about how the nursery guilt thing is a uniquely middle class issue in that um, the sort of people who whose jobs effectively don't pay them enough for their kids to go to nursery, particularly when they're very young you know, that's just something they can't have. And they would maybe like to have their kids in nursery, but they can't. And that's, you know, that's life. And then you get obviously the incredibly mega rich types um, and aristocratic families in particular, you know, it, it's very much been a cultural thing that they get nannies. Yeah. Their, their children are raised by their people. You know, they get nannies. And in a lot of cases, you know, when their kids can be, you know, my dad's case, as young as, you know, my dad's not from an aristocratic family, but my dad uh, w went off to boarding school age eight, you know? So, and that's common kind of for maybe more affluent families that, you know, let alone nursery when your kids are not that old, you know, they go off and they're looked by someone else mm. full time and they live somewhere else that's not your house and stuff like that. Yeah. And there's not like, you know, the parents in those situations don't have kind of all this terrible guilt about about that so it's I, I find it funny almost like being in the middle ground where it's almost like you right. you, could, you could afford to go to nursery or have be like maybe a single income family but you're yeah, making yeah. that choice and that's i guess maybe where the guilt yeah. is in the conflict between the kind of choices and maybe i made the wrong choice as opposed to like the other end of the spectrum where people i guess don't really see it as a choice either way particularly yeah raised by other people is definitely one of those things that obviously introduces new opportunities in your life. Yesterday, I had an interesting moment where I was doing the nursery drop-off and um, the little lad did not want to go into school. In fact, he actually went into the class and then he found out that there was a new, he calls him a teacher, um, it's, it's Montessori, and um, he didn't want to go in. And he said, there's a new teacher. And I said, no, there's not. And then the other teacher came out and said, oh, there is. 
And I realized, oh, no. And he was cuddling into me. And he was like, I don't want to go in. And I didn't know what to do. But I know that he is obsessed with Transformers at the moment. And I know that he loves talking about it. And I, we, had, we had watched an episode of Transformers together that he just kept going on about. Um, Transformers uh, Cyberverse was the show. And I just said to him, I whispered in his ear, I said, why don't you tell the new teacher about uh, Bumblebee and in Cyberverse? And his face just lit up and he leapt over to me and he said, Bumblebee has forgotten everything. And he would, and I was just like, bye. <laughs> and it just really struck me that in a, in a different context, if I was a different sort of parent, it would have ended in tears. I literally would have had to leave him crying. Um, but just having that little little interaction that we'd done a thing together that, that, that triggered him was really very satisfying in a way I don't think that you, you get elsewhere. Yeah, no, I agree. I can relate to that. I've not had exactly the same thing, but like I can definitely relate to uh, also the way that toddlers, cause our, our, our two are probably about a year apart, but you know, they're probably similar ish in terms of the best thing to do when they're upset is to distract them and to find something to divert their attention onto because they, they feel really hard their emotions, but then they can also change pretty rapidly unless they're absolutely distraught. Like if they're a bit upset and you can almost be like, Oh, like transformers or a sticker or whatever, like then they're often like placated by that. I think with, with our little one, we, we found like giving him almost as much independence as he can sensibly have is kind of good with that as well. Like when he goes into nursery, the thing that seemed to help him is he likes He's got all these like bags with his lunch and his clothes in them and stuff. And he likes carrying all the bags himself and walking up by himself and going in. And then he likes to take his lunch out and show everyone what he's having for lunch and like tell everyone in the nursery, like, oh, look, it's pasta or potato or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, and these little things, like the less we've been doing for him, the more he almost seems to kind of have that sense of ownership over, I don't know, his, yeah. his going to nursery. It occurs to me that we should probably read more books on this so that we can compare notes on them. But uh, the, the, one theme from a book that we should look up that um, I heard about was this notion of parents as consultants and kids as people who are hiring consultants and that you're not there necessarily to uh, to, to, to shape what your kid does specifically. You're there to guide and to advise them that if they go this path, this will happen. If you go that path, something else will happen um, at risk of being ignorant of those. It feels like we should educate ourselves on the, on the principles and see how they, they work in practice. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's, I think that's sensible. Like the other thing yeah. I, that, that made me realize that I really like about nursery actually is like, <laughs> asking advice from the nursery workers, you know, because the nice thing about asking the nursery workers is that they not only see a bunch of my kids, but they see a bunch of everyone else's kids as well. And as a result, they tend to be quite good at giving you little strategies of how to do things. Like the thing we've been struggling with recently is um, it's starting to get cold outside. And when it's cold outside, you need to wear a jacket, but I don't want to wear a jacket. I don't need to wear a jacket. Why should I wear a jacket to go outside? So asking tips for stuff like that. And also it's even when they don't have tips, learning that like 
you'll happily wear his jacket every day at nursery you're like okay it's the problem is not the jacket like it's you know i'm sure we can figure out a way around this so th- there's a there are a few other things that i i, I do want to explore um but let's just talk about the practice go back to the practicalities again of, of your schedule so you you work remotely obviously could you would you go back to full-time work in an office uh i think in theory yes but in reality, like I have such, a, I think the thing is, is almost like the way, the weird way I have my, my schedule set up so that, you know, I, I start work early, I finish work kind of late-ish, but then I'll go and disappear during the day to do errands, to go to the gym, to walk my dog, to pick up my son from the nursery and then come back and do work after that. I think if I had an office job where that was acceptable then i think i could do that but i think in most of them it wouldn't be and also there's just the logistical aspect of you know i would have to have a commute which would fit in some time there and then if i'm going to start work afterwards you know that would have to be doing a certain amount of remote working and whatever so yeah i mean yeah i guess that's the short version in in theory yes but in reality i don't see that happening anytime soon and and then the, the corollary is given that you're remote, you obviously travel a fair bit or do you travel a fair bit and how does that uh, affect it? What's your approach? And like, do you, do you go and come back? Do you bring gifts? Do you feel like you have to bring a gift? Does the, does it, does it affect the kid's behavior when you come back? If you come back? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. So I, I thankfully don't have to travel too much. I used to travel like a lot before my eldest was born. Um, probably every sort of, I don't know, it varied from job to job, but probably at the most sort of every sort of six to eight weeks, I'd be away for a week. Um, and my wife's never really minded because A, she would kind of join me on the tail end of trips and we would turn them into holidays and B, like her dad traveled a bit when she was younger. I remember she always said like, you know, she, she never at any moment felt that that was like, you know, a bad or a negative thing. That was just the reality and it, it wasn't mm-hmm. a problem. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've scaled that down. I probably only do the bare minimum of travel now. Probably I'm away on like, I'm probably away like two, three, maybe four kind of weeks a year. Um, or like maybe one of them might be like a weekend or whatever for, you know, company meetings or whatever it may be. I've kind of stopped mainly doing conferences. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, I think it's all right. Like, I mean, I, I definitely miss everyone while I'm away. My wife's family are pretty local, so they tend to kind of move in and kind of try and replace me as much as they can while I'm away. And it's nice knowing that there's someone providing like backup. Um, because yeah, cause particularly with now that there's two, like it's, you know, it's just exhausting trying to do bedtime by yourself and stuff. Um, I think the tricky thing is besides just the kind of missing side is, yeah, I think, I almost expected with my eldest when I would come back from trips that he'd almost be like, daddy, daddy, and almost like running towards me and be like, oh, you know, like expressing that he missed me. And I, in some ways you kind with him at least, I get kind of the opposite reaction in that he's for a few days, he's a bit more kind of quiet around me and he's a bit more almost like glued to his mummy and stuff like that. And that's, that's a little bit hard, but it, you know, it, it goes away pretty quickly. And I, you know, I think for me, it's the balance where because I'm remote, I have to do the travel and kind of just thinking like, well, you know, it's not 
particularly lovely when you have a few days where he's a little bit more distant from me um, and he probably doesn't know where I am when I'm gone. But on the flip side, I think I get to spend a lot more time with him on an average week than I would do if I had an office job here. So swings and roundabouts. You in the past couple of years have increased your, your participation in physical fitness. Is that true to say? Yeah. Yeah. And in, in the last three years, you have obviously become a dad. How connected and how does being a dad and trying to avoid tropes and stereotypes of becoming a dad has you, your interest in physical fitness? How closely are they aligned or are they completely separate in your mind? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, I think they're relatively separate in terms of well, I, I had before my eldest was born, I had quite a lot of different hobbies I would do, you know, uh, I mean, probably going to the gym and stuff like that was, it, it, it maybe was starting to become a hobby by the time my son was born. But I mean, initially it was just, my wife's a physiotherapist and was like, you need to try and do some exercise. And I was like, okay, I should probably do that. And then I finally found the source of exercise that I actually kind of enjoyed. Um, and I think it's gone from being, almost like bare minimum exercise to being like a bit of a hobby. And it feels like it's a nice balance because it's something I can do during the day when he's not there and that I don't do at the weekends or in the evenings and stuff. It's something that I feel as a dad, there's some degree of like, I want to try and stay fit and healthy so I can live as long as I can to spend as much time with them. Um, and just like, I guess partly as well, like physical and, mental health a little bit mental health from partly the just doing exercises good for your mental health perspective but also people ask quite often you know i've worked from home exclusively for 10 years um and i've never had you know a company office in the same city as me when i've been doing that and people ask do you get lonely and i'm like well no but my office water cooler is nowadays kind of my gym so like that's mm. where i get my like my kind of day-to-day -day people chat of, oh, you know, like I spilled coffee on myself this morning. How annoying, you know, like that type Your of social fix. Yeah. Yes, I think so. I think so. Um, and the gym I go to now, you know, I was like, it was opened by a friend of mine and I was like the fourth person to join. And I know all the staff fairly well and kind of the sort of regulars who go at the same sort of time as me and stuff like that. So yeah, I feel like that's, yeah, it's, it's almost become, like a a way of meeting some of my needs i think that's the kind of funny thing with my schedule and working and family life is that everything's a little bit kind of weird and out of sorts but in and in some ways i'm kind of meeting needs that you would normally get from work by going to the gym or normally get from co-workers through family and yeah stuff like that yeah i just uh so it's the eternal race against the dad bod like don't go to the gym for a week and you can feel it yeah i think i think that's kind of part of it as well <laughs> a little bit you know it's it's definitely you need to be more intentional about trying to stay fit when you are getting older um and i definitely have more respect there's a, a guy who might be on this podcast in another episode who's um turning 40 i think this month who's in just great shape and i definitely look at him with a lot more respect, you know, a, a dad of two than I look at a 23 year old student, you know, it's not that the 23 year old student is, you know, doesn't, is not worthy of respect, but I do feel like if you manage, if you manage to kind of, you know, 
keep that fit and healthy when you have children, a job, a family, then like good on you. Mm. <laughs> it's definitely harder. Cool. Mike, lots of great insight there. Is there one final thing that you would like to leave folks with from your approach as a dad, your experience, your how, the one trick that you think has kept you through it? Any line that you wanted to go out on? Uh, I can't think of any particular sort of almost tricks at the moment, but I am, I guess I would recommend a book I'm reading at the moment, which is not specifically about parenting, but it's called How Not to Be a Boy by uh, Robert Webb, who's was one of the stars of Peep Show and did the Mitchell Webb look. Um, so kind of British comedian guy. And it's sort of interesting. He's been writing about his experiences as so far in the book, at least his experiences as a child and particularly as a boy. And I guess with us having sons and things like that, it's sort of interesting to think he talks a lot about what the expectations are for boys versus kind of what he wanted to do. And I find that sort of that interesting to kind of think about, about what we kind of maybe culturally encourage boys to do or girls to do and not to do. And like, just to be mindful of the things that, uh, that they might want to do instead. Like the one little sad bit that stuck out to me, I remember he was saying he, f he found some bee when he was seven or eight and he thought the bee was dying and he tried to sort of help it. And then he writes afterwards that like, you know, he made sure he didn't tell anyone because he knows that what a little boy is meant to do is stamp on the bee and kill the bee, not like try to save the bee. And, you know, it was, I think things have changed a little bit nowadays from when he was, you know, writing about growing up in the seventies and eighties, but it's still almost like thinking about, you know, what do we expect our, our little boys to do? And for me as a dad of two sons, it's been interesting reflecting on that. Well, thank you very much. This has been the Balancing Dads podcast with guest, host, host, guest, Mike McQuaid and me, Paul Campbell. And please listen to the next episode. You can find Paul on Twitter at PaulCA. Thanks for listening to Balancing Dads. You can find us on Twitter at Balancing Dads and me at Mike McQuaid. Have a good week.